This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, television, life, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my friend and composing of the theme tune to this podcast, Luna Pan. Hello. Hello. How are you, Martin? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic that you, you, know, you were like, yes, oh, come on. I'm like, yay. Because <laughs> I, I think it was like, uh, I asked you to compose the soundtrack first. Yes. Uh, for this podcast, and then I was like, "Oh wait, no, you should also come on it because I want I want everyone to like, I guess, know who you are because you're like, you know, um, you have a little bit of a social media presence, but you also kind of like, um, it's more of a friends who know you kind of media presence than a uh, like out, you know, composing kind of like everything you do in terms of I guess the movie world." Would you agree with that? Uh, yes. I think a lot of my uh, previous works are based on networking as opposed to, I guess, somebody found me on social media or my website. Uh, not really. It's probably just uh, friends of a friend or somebody who's heard about me through other works that I've did. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, how, so, how, where did this all start with composing? Because... Like, was it something you fell into or was it kind of like just an avenue from studying music or something? Um, so I I did a bachelor at Australian Institute of Music, AIM. Um, I did composition and during that time we were exploring different ways, uh, different avenues of composing. And I really uh, had specific interest in uh, composing for moving picture mm. and that's how I really developed that interest and later on worked on student films and collaborating with more filmmakers uh yeah that's how my career started I kind of just ran with it <laughs> did you feel like it was something that you watched growing up watching all these films and going like oh you know they're um, you know, like, were there any, I guess, composers that you looked on or admired, or was it just kind of the whole film, uh, filmmaking aspect in together to go into composing? I love watching films growing up, uh, to begin with. Yeah. I just love films. Um, and on top of that, I played piano when I was young for like about a decade. So, um, film music is definitely something I kind of concentrate more on when I watch a film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I always look up to, you know, all those John Williams, um, yeah. Hans Zimmer and all that. I think they're just like crazy good. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I just always love the aspect of telling story with what I'm good at in this case is music. Um, I mean, I've got mad respect on with the uh, directors and cinematographers, anyone that's in the filmmaking industry. I mean, you get you have to be super organized and getting things done organizing all those people and I'm just one of the post-production crew yeah I have really a great respect on producers and directors oh that's good like I mean it's interesting because you know you mentioned uh John Williams who's like you know kind of like a household name now and I think he's just kind of retired from doing Star Wars um I think it was like the what was it the not the Rise of Skywalker was like the last Star Wars film he'll do. Yes. Um, so it's interesting to, you know, he's done like huge franchises. And, you know, he's, you know, I think everyone remembers the Imperial March 
um, mm-hmm. as probably like the classic. Uh, Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars theme uh, with Darth Vader every time. But it's also like, um, you know, Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is a bit of an interesting one because he feels a little more like a like an organization than a, even though he's a person, it definitely feels like Hans Zimmer is like almost a brand now than a, a guess a yes, person. Yes, I, I guess he's very successful in running an organization because you got uh, some underneath, you got a, a whole group of composers assisting him. Uh, yeah, I know someone that works at Bleeding Fingers, which is uh, one of the companies that he runs. Um, very oh. successful uh, branding, I'd say. I mean, his his music is revolutionary. Um, it changed the whole film music industry, and everybody wants to sound like him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they they really do actually. Um, I feel like um, Inception was kind of like the film I remember. Yeah, most about him, which was like those deep, deep like like bass sounds. Yeah, that's a, that's also a Christopher Nolan staple. I feel like in terms of his directing, he just has a lot of like big, deep. Warm. Yeah, for sure. A lot of um, sound design elements, a lot of rhythmic elements. Uh, definitely very different to traditional orchestral scoring where, you know, you really focus on the different elements of music and there are a lot of melodies. But when it comes to um, the new age where, I guess, since Hans Zimmer or even before, uh, there's all this um, minimal kind of textural music. Yeah, it's 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 sort of like how do you, uh, I guess, you know, take those influences but also kind of create your own, I guess, stamp uh, to a varying degree with music because that must be quite hard. Yes, I think, uh, I guess, similar to writing. I guess if you write scripts, uh, if you want to be good at it, you kind of just start doing it by trying to sound like them <laughs> yeah um <laughs> I, I guess as a practice but later on the more you write the more you can discover your own voice and that's how i think of um you know over the years a lot of projects a lot of writing uh you you kind of just realize that you have you know every time music comes up it's like oh this is you you know it's like this is yeah. Hans Zimmer, this is john williams um yeah it's just the characters you you create, uh, people just recognize. And I think that's the end goal. To create these like pieces that people can listen to. And... Yeah, it's a unique sound, unique voices. Yeah, because I, I mean like I found, you know, sneakily if you type uh, your name into, <laughs> I think it was like Apple Music, um, I found uh, an album or something like an EP of uh, music you had composed. Uh, which was like almost like like you know scarecape or horror kind of like oh yeah and it was very interesting to listen to because you could tell I could tell it was you as well like there was something a bit about it which is just um <laughs> was, you know and it was funny that I was saying that because you know I've heard quite a few a bit of your music now somehow um, somehow I was stuck with horror like yeah <laughs> uh, I I don't know why like I'm I'm not I'm not like professional at it i just keep getting horror projects yeah it's like seven out of ten i get horror like i don't even know why <laughs> i think i think it's interesting because like I've, I've sort of given you quite like when we've worked together i've given you quite a rely uh, like 
relay of just being like, oh, compose a little bit of like strict notes and then a lot of just like do what you want. Yeah, you, you are. I very, want you to. Yeah, very liberating. I, I think I appreciate that. Because <laughs> I mean, like the, the funny thing about me, as especially as a filmmaker, because I worked predominantly in film editing, I a lot of the scene on how you originally directed, there is sort of an element of the actors bring a piece in it and then the editor brings their piece in it. But the music is something of a character, like, as we say, a character of itself mm-hmm. and layer upon layer upon layer. And when you get to kind of like the music, there's sometimes just this, like, you know, I think it's also because, you know, when you're a filmmaker doesn't who knows kind of about music, because I don't think like, but, you know, some filmmakers never studied music. It's kind of like learning what that beats do and how they elevate a scene and sometimes they actually do a better job than some of the you know like I don't want to say some of the actors but it's true like Mm. sometimes you're brought in like it helps the performance how do you feel about that do you believe that is true where it's kind of like elevates a a scene a lot more than you'd think necessarily Uh, I think film music in general uh, the main goal one of um, is help tell the story whichever way possible and that really greatly depends on the director's vision you know sometimes uh the director think this music is too much or it's too little uh they just it's very subjective yeah um so i guess my job as a composer is really to try to achieve that vision by communicating with the director a lot um yeah, and uh, sometimes I think uh, I compose this cue, it sounds great by itself, but it doesn't work with the picture. And then, you know, that's not a good job. Yeah. Because, you know, we're not a standalone artist, or in this case, we're not an artist, um, but we're part of the crew. We're really trying to make the project more complete. And uh, you mean, uh, I mean, the director is really the creative center of this project. So everything really needs to uh, run by him. And just a lot of communication, trying to figure out uh, what you really want to to achieve. For example, this saying is like, oh, you know, behind this, I want the music to present uh, the actor's mind. The performance is probably not there, but music can help that. Yeah. Yeah, I get a lot of directors say this like pretty <laughs> pretty bluntly. It's like, uh, the performance is not really here. Can you do something with music so that the audience knows uh what it's really trying to say? <laughs> and that must be like I get th- that must be very frustrating because you kind of like I've not I I to a varying degree I can do that, but I can't turn what is a bad performance into a good performance necessarily. Yes, it 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 distracts in a way, but uh, I mean, it's about everything. The whole project, you know, it, everyone involved. There's a lot of, there's a lot of factors <laughs> that can make the film good or bad. Yeah. So, I guess during per- post production in general, you're trying to, you know, get everything together. Yeah. And improve uh, what we've done during production. So. Yeah, music is part of this. You made that sound like the most professional way of just going, sometimes it's exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't want to say that. (laughs) I I, I felt the implication. (laughs) It's it's interesting, though, because, like, I I think 
that whole idea of, you know, a, you know, a montage or something like that needs music to elevate this, you know, scene or whatever's going on. Definitely. And it's funny that um, that a lot of a lot of people don't really, you know, understand the the. You know, I think there's a lot more people because I think music is so bombastic now. Uh, it's probably a little bit like superhero films do it a huge amount. They have a lot of loud music tracks. They, um, you know, I think um, there's a real sense of, you know, escapism and stuff. But when do you feel like um, music isn't needed, I guess, is like when do you feel like that's not needed as much from a, a personal perspective? The whole process is called spotting. And spotting means uh, it's the process of... Uh, us deciding when music should come come out or go in um yeah so there are different spots where we decide music should be here or should not be um and i think general protocol for not having music is when there are a lot of emotions uh, on screen by the performance because some if if the emotions already there um the music would be a little unnecessary. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Or when there is a, a key point of a scene where it probably seems mundane, but is actually a part of a very important storyline. That's where music really plays a plays an important role because every time something like this happens, maybe same music or similar kind of cue comes in. And yeah. then the audience would really register in their brains like, oh, this is happening again. This is happening again. Even like without realizing it. Uh, for example, jaw, you know, when the uh, when the shark comes in, it's always that da-da, 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 da-da. You know, you just know that's a shark. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's almost, um, you know, a, a character, you know, character within itself. That yeah. Music's... Psychologically, it's like, it's really, it's really in the audience brain. Yeah, that, you know, this is this because of the music, which I think is like, you know, there, there, there's, you know, those themes like obviously, um, that you just you do remember, and I think it's it's interesting that you say that because, like, with stuff that you've done and stuff we've worked mm-hmm. on together. There's always like, you know, I think I think one of the things that you, you know, you asked for early on is reference. Like how does it, how does your process go when you kind of like have not just with me but with filmmakers in general, how do you go about the process of coming on board and then going knowing what they want not just through spotting and stuff? Yeah, I think uh, especially with first time collaborations, I will ask for reference because as I said previously, uh, whether the music fits the scene is highly subjective to the director's vision, right? So uh, getting reference tracks is basically having an idea of the director's um, subjective view of what's good and what's bad. Yeah. Um, Say if I got a sing, I've got a total different interpretation. I love this orchestral music over it but then the director will be like oh this is crap because that's not what i wanted <laughs> and it doesn't matter if i write like john williams and the director doesn't like it then i i'm bad at my job yeah you know so 
Uh, yeah, it's getting the reference track is not necessarily meaning I gotta copy it all because that's not what you want. You want to have your own voice there, but at the same time, you really want your music to get across where the director is happy and you're happy, and you know that's the end goal. Everyone's happy and the film's great. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, you hope it is to a, to a like varying degree. I mean, it's. Interesting as well because I know like a lot of, um, you know, young directors, especially a lot of a lot of people who aren't used to collaborating with a huge bunch of different people, or as you say, first time collaborators. Yeah. There is a there is a sense of um, you don't quite know what you want, as well. Mm-hmm. Like even if you send out references, you still don't quite know what you want. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, how do you pick? I guess. <laughs> The massive amounts of you know brains, um, like and just go and and present something, like because sometimes like you present to multiple, and sometimes yeah. you you know it depends on the scale of the budget or something. But sometimes it's also like you yeah. could produce something singular and hope that that's liked. Um, I think with di- directors giving out references, like, um. It's better to have clear communication at the beginning, where mm. uh, I might ask you, "What do you like about this reference track? What don't you like about it?" Because you know that's probably not exactly what you wanted. Because if you really want that, you could just license that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, I'll just say, "What do you like about the the music?" And you you can probably tell me, "Oh, I like this uh, energy that has in this music." And yeah. I kind of translate what you mean musically and write something that that has the similar energy but in my own way it's funny because i think for this particularly for the theme of the podcast there was like two versions there was the version you originally sent me because i think the references i gave you were like poppy and kind of like electro kind of like things Mm. um and then you came up with this like i said you know i gave you a rough length of how long it needed to be, and then you sent me yeah. back a, a version. And I was like, "Cool, I'm happy with that. I'm <laughs> happy with elements of it." And I can't yeah. remember how I described it because I think I said to you that it came in too strong. Yeah, it's more. I guess it's more of a feeling that you get from the track, but it's yeah. not essentially every musical element needs to be the same. But more, you want it probably to be uplifting, energetic. Yeah, uh, which a lot of different music genres can have and you know then i can be a little more creative within those parameters and you know uh uh, still be creative (laughs) (laughs) which i think is great and i mean like the funny thing is i remember sending this you know uh, the the theme to a couple of a couple of people who i knew did podcasting and uh-huh. I sent it off to them and they were just like, I like it. I really like it. And they were like, the only thing is I feel like it's a tiny bit too long. And I thought, okay, cool. And I got you, I think it was after the, before that point, I'd got you to compose like the stinger, which is just mm. like the, 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 the small, like nine second thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that ended up being the, the thing that I stuck with. Like the, oh, I still really? got the, I still got the like 30 second to a minute one, but I ended up using the nine second one. And it's so funny because I love both versions. But I'm so used to hearing that quick one because now, because it's just, it's something like it, it, the way someone else described it to me is it felt shorter and more on point, 
but it also got to yeah. the you know people didn't kind of want to sit around for a minute worth of music while they're listening to a podcast they wanted That's to so kind of true. just go straight into the conversation so yeah for sure it's like the way yeah it's it's just interesting because subjectively it's also you know like the stuff when i send um like when i watched your version of westworld which you did for um what was the competition it was Oh, yes, that's a Spitfire Audio having a competition uh, for all composers. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Explain how that one actually came about before I go into my story. Oh, no, it's just uh, uh, if you win, you, you get basically a Spitfire everything. Uh, they sell all the virtual instrument that uh, that's very basically industry standard for composers. And you probably get like $15,000 or more uh, worth of products. Uh, I guess that's a motivation. And yeah. Well, uh, didn't the winner like do Mario Kart or something like that? Yeah, like, that's that's a winner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I listened to the winner and I was more impressed by some of the other people. <laughs> but, yes, but he is for sure very, very creative. I think he's actually very technical as well, but... Um, yeah, I think it's, they probably think it's really funny and yeah, very creative. I think that's definitely why. Yeah. And I mean, like the, the theme you create, I composed for it is, is very, it's very good. It's actually like, um, it's funny because I actually haven't seen that season either. So I never knew what the original soundtrack was. So I think I enjoyed all the soundtracks that people did a lot more because having known, what the original music was probably would have detached me from it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. In saying that, it's like, it's interesting because when I watched that, there was really like a mixture of different voice, you know, your own voice and, you know, like, but also this kind of like, it felt like a big production. I think the one thing that people don't realize about, you know, um, uh, kind of like the scale of of like, you know, you composing or other composers is the kind of it makes it... I think the thing I like about your music is it really feels like a scale. Like it feels like everything, you know, feels very cinematic and very mm. um, a big. D- how, does that like surprise you when people like, you know, find, you know, compliment you with your music, I guess is the thing and <laughs> in, a, in a very strange way? I appreciate it. Um <laughs> <laughs> I guess I I get people I don't I I get people complimenting. I mean I'm I'm stoked that I get compliments, but yeah, I also at the same time I know like there are a lot of things I need to improve on constantly. So I guess I can't I can't get too satisfied <laughs> from getting compliments. <laughs> With everything you do, like how so I guess when it comes to budget and everything how do you reflect on that because you've done you've done unpaid you know you've done unpaid stuff and you've done paid stuff so mm-hmm. how do you like gauge um you know the indie world as well as like you know uh, i guess i guess we call it you know the paid versus unpaid i guess yes okay um i did a lot of the unpaid projects when i was trying to create my own portfolio so, uh, you know, I collaborated with a lot of students uh, from film school. Uh, all the students' film ended up being in my showreel. Um, some of them are actually shot really well. Uh, they're either unpaid or very low pay. Mm. But um, I guess 
after I had my show reel together and um, get a bit of exposure from that um, projects ever since would be paid projects. Um, I And depends on the budget of the project. Um, later on, I could afford actually musicians to record my projects. Oh. That's the next, I guess, professional level of composing uh, would be instead of me sitting in front of the computer trying to play with the virtual instruments, I actually go out and hire musicians and audio engineers and have a team together to make this production uh, to the next level if they really have the budget for it. I mean, to be honest, I would I'd love to see that because just, you know, and, and that must be a very sur- surreal, like, dream because... Yeah, it would be surreal for, I guess, myself, the team involved, and the director. I mean, as a director, if you really have the budget to for the composer to hire an orchestra and you yeah. sit in the control room and see 60 musicians playing music <laughs> for your film... How crazy is that, you know? <laughs> I think that's insane. And I think there's, you know, like, there's something about, there's a difference between electronic music sounds, uh, you know, mm. when you're saying you're composing, because they can sound as real as to a varying degree. But when you hear a composed music, like, recorded from the actual instruments, I think there's, like, that sound of imperfections every so often. Yes. Um, yes. Which make it very real. Oh, you're a professional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's crazy different. Like it, I can't even. Um, it's the human elements. Like you know, any synth doesn't matter if I try sit here, spending hours on the virtual instrument, uh, twiggling around. You know, the expressions all and all the techniques that I learn. Yeah. It's still still different. Like it's just yeah. Different. I think I think for me it's it's like over the over the like last I'd say five years it's it's mm-hmm. staggering how much more I I you know I want to challenge or I want to like you know notice those differences because mm. I I love so the same goes for you know cinematography or acting or anything there's a sense of um, when a mistake happens it's very human. And I don't like that some young filmmakers want to iron all those mistakes out. Like they just want Mm. rid of them because it's Mm. those elements that, you know, create a better film and they create more of a human element. Like, you know, someone's, you know, sculpted this, um, you know, like wooden statue uh, with a, you know a, a toothpick they found or something like that. It's it's just you know the hard work goes into it. Um, but I mean, with every time that you know someone goes, oh, I've got this idea or this idea. How do you gauge also that it's you know a little I guess a little bit worth your time as well. You know, not just money related, but how do you know it's sort of like it would be good to compose for something? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I you'd have a definitive answer there. You know, like <laughs> sometimes I get approached with a script and I was like, oh my God, it's such a good story. I'm so into it. And, you know, once I s- see the footage, I'm like, oh, okay, it's a bit different than I thought. But, you know, <laughs> like it happens. I really, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, because I, I guess you with the director that you worked with for a few projects already, like somebody you know well. Yeah. And then, you know, you definitely know, um, you know, it can't be bad with him or her. Um, <laughs> but like it really, de- I, I really don't know. <laughs> it's so funny because this is why I'm always like, as an editor, it's very, I'm very nervous to sign up to any project prior to seeing footage. Yeah, because you just don't know what you're editing. Yeah, and editing is just as hard and time-consuming and you're going to be so detail-oriented and you're sitting yeah. from the, in front of the screen for hours. You know? I feel like it's like... Um, the funny thing is also, though, I feel like, you know, um, you know, your job, my job, as well as, like, if you're a sound designer or anything, they're kind of all the same. We're sitting... Yeah, we're, we're kind similar. of. Yeah, we're kind of like the puzzle fixers of uh, the the people who have made the like. I I always like to think of it as like a kitchen. Like the kids have made a mess, and we've got mm. to clean that mess up and stitch it <laughs> to something that people can watch. Oh um, uh, yeah, it's 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 exactly how I feel every time I I watch a film, and I think it's also because when you're watching a film, you can see all the bad things that someone's missed. Or um, because you're fresh eyes and yeah. th- they've seen it a thousand times. So, yeah, they lose the sense of, um, yeah, they, they lose that freshness of, of whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I remember, like, um, it was interesting because, like, I was talking to, um, I was talking to um, my friend Todd, who um, normally does sound design for me. And he's not ever like he it was interesting because he he would you know I I'd send your WAV files over to him, and him he's not very like he's very good with dialogue and he was like I know I'm good at dialogue, but he was like I'm not as good with music because working out the levels of where it needs to sit versus the compression of when it goes onto like YouTube or it goes onto Vimeo or it goes onto like other websites because they you know websites have weird audio compression, they chuck their yeah, own like. Yeah output um, levels into it and he he said it was just really hard gauging if the audio of the music would over over dominate the dialogue and i think that was really interesting because it's no matter what you do you you know you drag the you drag it to try and make it sounds at least normal or some sort of like level that is coherent to an you know yeah a decent sound wave but it's just it's a struggle how do you like do you ever watch something of something you've composed and then either hear it blasting or just like you're just like it's too soft or it's too loud or you know when you watch the final product as well like someone's oh, just not definitely definitely <laughs> um so that's what i learned from uh not getting surprises is when you when it's a mix down when you know the last session oh, yeah. with the director and this the, the mixer you, you be there because if you're not there um they can basically ruin your music like in a heartbeat <laughs> oh no you know the director will be like you know what i don't want this cue anymore and then <laughs> you know that could be deleted that could be turned way down you know which is basically deleted or like yeah. anything or it could it's like oh you know what i think it works better in this thing instead but you know the music is actually not really composed for the thing. Oh no! The, oh no! I feel it happens 
all the time. I, <laughs> I certainly feel very sorry for you. <laughs> I think it's... I. I've been quite lucky because what you do is you just top and tail to the length of the sequence that I give you. And then I have yeah. no choice other than to stick to it. Not really. Uh, if you just look at the, I'm not saying to do this, but like, <laughs> look, if I give you a web file, you can chop it up however you yeah. want, you know, like, especially with a mixer, he's got pro tools right in front of him or her, um, yeah. you know, just chop it up. I, I- I, I do agree. I, I, I have done that. And I think um, yeah. it's... I mean, it's, as an editor, you chop up music as well all the time for yeah. temp tracks. Like, it's not yeah. hard to do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, no, I do do that. And it's quite f- funny because I think the last one we did, uh, which, you know, I think it was like the, the Innocent that um, we did, I ended up... That one I didn't really move. Because I knew the beginning where that started and then when it, when it ended. Yeah. And I think it was just like I left it as is because it was like top to tail. I know where all the music cues start and therefore it just carried on. But it was so interesting because it felt – I think what was cool about that one is also like something you see in films. But, you, you know, when you listen to it in soundtracks, they're all like individual s- story yeah. n- music notes and stuff. But like that, there was probably like a think – because I tried to get you to just like go from song to song so that like they sort of bled into each other. Mm. It felt like one continuous track for probably about six minutes. Oh, yeah. Or something like that. How does, how do you know also that when the character, the song changes? Because it also is depending on the scene, but do you write it as one continuous song or do you write it as um, like individual moments and then you just kind of bleed it through? Uh, definitely sim by saying if the, you, you know, if we've already established the spotting, um, but if, if it just happens so that the, the scenes kind of the music bleed into each other between mm. scenes, then, you know, that's that. Um, but I think in general with filmmaking, obviously you don't want to make it a music video, uh, yes. where it's just music throughout. <laughs> So, <laughs> um, I feel like that would be a very interesting film. But yeah, also... especially I think for filmmaking nowadays, if if there are dialogues, like music should be turned way down, or like it shouldn't be there anymore. Uh, whereas if you see like TV shows, it's the other way. Like yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, composing for TV, it's a whole different genre. Yeah, because have you have you managed to compose a bit for TV now? Uh yes, I do. I do compose for TV. How do you how do you find that in compared to the indie world? Very very different. Almost like a different craft. Yeah, um the music is definitely way more uh out there. Uh, very <laughs> dramatic, I'd say for is, TV. Is, is that um, cuz take take all the shows for example like Shark Tank. Master Chef. Oh yeah, um, actually. You know, the, those reality shows. Because I did um, music, fortunately, for the block. Um, oh wow! For those reality shows, if you strip back the music, it's just people talking, and it's people constantly talking. And obviously, as an audience, you don't want to hear all that, or you lose focus really, really quickly. So with yeah. music, it's like, don't something happened. <gasps> what's this you know yeah all that needs to be ex- expressed expressed by music like otherwise it's just talking 
I've never thought about, uh, but I also think I, about, having think about Master Chef. The music is so important. Yeah, otherwise it'll just be like, uh, I'm here. I screwed up this dish, and the <laughs> and the judge is like, this tastes bad. This tastes good, and it's just constantly probably monotone talking. That's true. I I never thought about it that way, and now that you said all that, I'm like, yeah, because I was I was literally before we called, I was I was watching the British Bake Off. And what, what, you know, it has this sort of like pleasant music running throughout the um, certain, you know, challenges that they have to do. And you're 100% yeah. right. It's just like constant. If it was just, it'd be constant clanging. It'd be constant people shuffling. And it'd be constant talking. Yeah. Well, I guess that's because, well, now that I think about it, it's probably because it's a reality show and there's not much performance element in it. So yeah. that's why it needs a lot of music. Uh, you know, when it's happy music, it'll be really happy because they're just talking. They're not really showing how happy they are. I think it's also kind of interesting of like when you watch those shows, because I've been fortunately like um, able to see some of those shows recorded and they're recorded in a very interesting way because a lot of it is retakes. Yeah, that's true. It's There is an element of truth to them, but there is also an element of, I think, the overdramaticness when they get a good, you know, a good genuine reaction. They want that reaction to, you know, um, a production level. Um, TV is definitely because um, it's on a smaller screen, and uh, the music sort of has to match that. It's a lot of um, technicality involved when it comes to composing. The difference between composing for TV and composing for film, because yeah. for film it's like you know huge budget. Uh, really it's like you know i'm on the top of mountain everything's grand (laughs) where on tv it's like i'm in a room or um you know what i mean like music sort of have to match that yeah i the funny yeah because when you sort of mentioned the block as well yeah you know the the fact that it does it they all have this theme about them which is very overly dramatic and like dun 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 kind of thing or you know, yeah. um, a big crash kind of sound, yeah, and like, then cut <gasps> to com- yeah, and everyone cuts to commercial break, and everyone's like, <gasps> I can't what wait to get back next? to this. <laughs> <laughs> that must get very tedious though uh, after a while. Oh, uh, so for the process, uh, how I worked on it, anyways, is you actually just write tracks by genre. We actually don't um, edit the music. The, the oh. editors, like you guys, edit the music. Like, we don't work with picture. Well, I mean, nowadays we don't for TV. So you're just kind of, like, composing then sending it off. and Yeah, yeah, which is a craft on its own, like, writing music for editors. <laughs> yeah, that would be, to be honest, the most surreal thing because, yeah, That's I didn't... That's why I... we say, you know, editors are our best friends because, you know, without you guys, we're out of jobs. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> it's... <laughs> I don't want to just pat myself on the back because that was like very the way you said that I was responded. I was like, well, that just just pat myself on the back. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we rely on you guys. Yeah, well, it's true though. I mean, it, I didn't even realize that until like, uh, sort of like having done a couple of short films now, and realizing like, especially with when I work with other directors and stuff and other friends who are filmmakers, and they don't they don't get the sense of. Um, 
the importance of music or they don't get the sense of, you know, like the way editing is important. Like they just, I think it's, I think it's actually very underestimated. Like And my favorite thing is everyone thinks they can edit and editing is like one of the most tedious things you can ever do. Mm. Um, But if you enjoy it and you're like, want to actually take it seriously, it is also quite a blast. Um, Mm. But it does require a lot of patience and a lot of like, you know, uh, determina- determination. How, I guess with composing stuff or ed- editing though, like how quick is a turnaround is that for you versus like composing something for a, like a scene? Like how how long does it take you to kind of think out musical bits for a scene versus like composing just for an editor? Uh, I think composing based on genre uh, would be a lot quicker than composing specifically for a scene. Uh, just time-wise, because if I just say I do orchestral trailer kind of genre music in the requirements a minute 30 to two minutes, I can write that track in about two, three hours. But uh, with um, writing music to a scene, it's back and forth communication with a director probably at least uh, twice or three times. Oh, wow, okay. And that itself takes a lot of time because, you know, uh, the director might get back to you later or um, and then he's probably like I don't like this and then you gotta start from scratch or like oh hey you know what I'm just gonna remove a few frames from this and then music's out of sync so in general it's definitely uh, a more time consuming to work on a tailored uh, like a project than yeah. you know having music written um and for editors to edit it like definitely yeah i I think i didn't realize that was like but that does make sense because writing something specifically for an editor you kind of you could just go wham bam there you go have fun with yeah that and, and the editor is like oh great i'm gonna chop it up and then that goes with a picture here i think and then uh you know that's happy days but with <laughs> um the other way it's just like you know what? I think during this second, you should put a chord here or like a band here. And then it's just back and forth communication. Yeah. Um, it could take time. Yeah. Oh my God. That sounds so like laborious though, which is, I, I, I see, this is why I could never be a composer. I would, I would <laughs> like, it's, it's so funny because it's like, um, you know, you talk about us being your best friends and like you are literally our best friends because it's just like we're best friends to each other because I think so because a lot of I know that a lot of editors like to cut with music yeah like, even with just random music they just uh yeah it does help it it really does and it's sort of it, I think it's something about when you chuck a temp track in you know what you're doing kind of like you can just have a listen and know kind of the tone you're setting um I used to do that all the time but mm. It's very different, um, you know. It's having a song tailored to your scene, where you you watch the scene and you go, "Ooh, okay, this is this is elevated by um, the performance, you know, and, um, and the music and everything that kind of goes into it." Um, mm. But I, I do think that I I think Australia. It's very interesting because like Australia is very good at 
you know, we have good filmmakers and we have good arts and stuff. But it, we it, do. But, we really do. But it's sort of like in the grand scheme of things, in the grand world, it is still a little bit undernoticed, except for like in the Gold Coast kind of way where, you know, like we've got um, we've got Marvel films filming there at the moment. Um, we just yeah, had, it's, it's cheaper to do so. I think that's yeah. <laughs> what I, I think it's, I, I think it's only also because Chris Hemsworth just loves coming home uh, to to film here and i think yeah uh, my my partner was um at the set with um the new marvel the chinese one oh shang chi that yeah. was in Parramatta. that was shot in Parramatta. yeah so what or did he do did he have a specific thing to do with it uh not really i think it's just a runner but um oh okay it's, you know, looking at how the scenes build and stuff, I think yeah, said it's pretty cool. But because <laughs> um, they, I remember watching the uh, like they sent a chopper out and I saw aerial shots of it. It looked huge, like it was such a yeah. big set. It's a definitely huge budget. Um, yeah, stuff. I mean they get tested for COVID. I mean all the stuff. Uh, they get tested, I think, every week. Yeah, and yeah, that huge set. Great, like huge budget well <laughs> it's, it's so true like disney disney have the money oh they do they do um i think it was like mulan was shot in new zealand yeah and that actually got released on disney plus um uh, and much. then yeah for like a month of paid and then suddenly it was all free i think um while well, they tried to desperately make their money back but um it's it's interesting like do you think in terms of, are you one of those people who also still likes going to the cinema and watching a, a film there? Or are you kind of like adapting towards this like streaming platform world? Uh, no way. I love to go to the cinema like whenever possible. <laughs> Even on old films, uh, I, I want to rewatch it like again and again. Well, I guess for me it's, you know, we don't have speakers at home. That's as great as those 5.1. Oh, I know, right? Surround sound in the in the cinema. It's crazy good. I mean, if that's something, <laughs> is that something I appreciate? Like, I I love to have a private cinema. <laughs> oh, you, you, I feel like you will one day. I feel like you are oh, going to be that, yeah. the, the type do. of person. <laughs> um, when you when you build your own house, you're going to install a f- <laughs> private cinema or something in it. I feel like is your goal, or at least like build an external cinema for yourself. I think so, that's everybody's goal. Isn't that your go-to, Martin? Oh, well, look, it is. Um, <laughs> I don't want, like, I just like the idea of, uh, you know, I. Uh, it's funny because I've got, like, Blu-rays and stuff. I'm such a, um, I even own, like, a 65-inch TV for that sure, whole experience. Yeah, uh, the visual thing. It's a visual thing. It so is a visual thing. And I remember my parents were talking to me about it and they they were like oh you know why do you have all this tech stuff like why do you own all these fancy things it's like mom i i'm obsessed with this stuff it's like the moment you get obsessed with it when you're young it kind of doesn't leave you and you just want to turn it into your craft yeah of course like well how do your parents react to like what did you uh, you know what do they think of you being a composer and everything as well uh they are very supportive um they definitely are um, I did a project that actually got aired in China as well. Ooh. And there are, um, on the, all the Chinese platforms got, uh, very good viewings. Um, yeah, they were super stoked and they're proud of it and uh, they're still in China. So yeah, 
they're just like, how are you going with music? You know, uh, any exciting projects? So they didn't have any qualms with you going into the arts or anything like that? They weren't Um, Not really because, you know, um, it was my parents that wanted me to learn piano. I mean. Oh, wow. Okay. uh, It was really tedious work as a child. (laughs) You don't really want to. Nobody wants to sit in front of a piano for hours a day. No. So, <laughs> yeah, but like you turned it into bad. an art form. Uh. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate it now, but back then, <laughs> I hated it so badly. So when did you, so when did you move um, to a Sydney, basically? How old were you when uh, you moved here? 2010. So I was, uh, yeah, I was 19 back then. And was that a big like jump for you like did that feel like a big leap or was that very much like always the goal to go i'm gonna i'm gonna move to sydney and that be like where i'm gonna try and no it was actually um more of a detour i guess because um uh i did a commerce degree when i first came here as of all other asian kids Um, (laughs) And during during my time in Sydney, after all that, I started going music, whereas my original route. So I guess yeah. it's a bit of a detour. Um, but I I guess it's a good thing because right now I've got the business side of things. I know how money works. And then I've got the creative side um, where I, I truly want to be like as my career goal. So I don't yeah. think that really went to waste or anything, I think. Uh, that's really, uh, it's really useful. The whole journey. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's like um, that's almost like the success story, really. No, to kind of... not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. That's a great. It's like you know you 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 eventually went back into what you wanted to do, which you yeah. Know... But you know, my parents. If you think about. I guess they're supportive now because I've already done what they asked for, which is... Yeah, well, I mean, like, in some ways, you've just followed what your parents wanted to do, so... Well, I guess I didn't really know what I wanted back then. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, okay, I guess everybody does commerce. I'll do one. Um, It was fun. (laughs) You don't sell me on it. But... um, yeah, I guess it was useful, really. You did, you you know, it's. I never saw the interest in commerce <laughs> growing up. I don't know why. I was like, anything to do with like maths. <laughs> I was like, no, no. <sighs> but yeah, you've been here now for eleven years, and you're about to also, you know, um, can I say this? About to, you know, you got engaged, so you're. Oh yeah, of course you can say this. Okay, cool. No, my <laughs> my private life is forbidden. <laughs> How dare you? Well, I don't know. How Some people are very like... my personal life? <laughs> um, but yeah, you got engaged, which also... Um, did COVID kind of put a little bit of a, a like stamp on that? Or was that kind of like... Um, you I'm know? hoping not because the wedding's in October this year and my parents are still in China. So oh, wow. uh, not sure if they can come, but I hope they will be able to because, you know... Um, they're doing the vaccines now or soon. Um, I guess back, uh, by then you'll probably be able to travel with it. Yeah. That must have been so nerve-wracking for you, like hearing yeah. hearing all that news. Yeah. So COVID, I hope it won't have too much of an impact. I mean, definitely not as bad as, you know, last year. Yeah. Um, but um, 
Who knows? It's really hard to say. Yeah, because I mean, like, I remember when all the news came out. It was really interesting because, like, you saw all the vision of people dying in Wuhan. And yeah, I was there. I mean, I was not there there. I was in China. Oh, you were in China at the time? Yeah, like a year ago, exactly. Wow. I went to Tingdao, my hometown, and then straight away, bam, lockdowns. No one on the street. It's like Chinese New Year. and It's crazy. Like, it's unheard of. That would have been so surreal. Yeah, and then everybody started wearing masks. There's no one on the street. Um, We're supposed to travel everywhere. I mean, but then we couldn't. So we literally just stay with my parents for about 10 days and left. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. That would have been some nice personal time, though, with your mum and dad. And It like... was great. Um, <laughs> but I guess it was unfortunate for my partner because it was his first time in China. He's Australian. Uh. So, like, you know, he was like, oh, China's so fun and stuff. And um, next minute, you can't go out. It's like first trip wasted. Um, yeah. Oh. And by the time we came back, it was like early February, which is like uh, COVID is not in Australia yet. Um, yeah. And then we 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 got off the plane. It was like everybody still wearing a mask and stuff. And then here's like everyone's like super blasé about what's going on. And everyone's just like no social distancing or um, yeah. wearing a mask. They're just looking at us like weirdos. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah. You know, everyone who sort of like talked about it at the moment, I think it's very different everywhere you talk about in the world. Um, yeah. But uh, I think with us in Australia, um, whenever I'm in the shop or something, I'll wear a mask. Wherever I'm like near people, I'll wear a mask. But mm. it's so funny still seeing like, even though you have all these sh- shops saying, please wear a mask inside, people still try to like not social distance. Yeah. And act like nothing's ever affecting anything. And it's it's very interesting to see, um, like, I think New Zealand's been the only one who successfully managed to have no cases for so long. and um, They've got a couple of cases. They go full on lockdown, the whole country. So Yeah. Yeah. That, I think, sort of like, you know, America's probably the biggest one at the moment, which is um, yeah. uh, <laughs> probably going to be, um, interestingly, um uh, eradicated and uh, you know but also they they also had their inauguration today so um congrats to biden yeah yeah it's a bit of a it's a bit of a change i think hopefully for them hopefully in the long run but you know it also like it could be a you know complete other side of the coin where you know who knows what the future is i think it's so interesting because um i you know i like, I think there's been so much damage, I think, trade-wise and everything we've done with, you know, every political leader's done with the world at the moment since COVID's happened. And we've kind of, like, buried ourselves into everyone's politically has buried each other into holes. Yeah. It does make everything quite hard in terms of travel. And did, did you did you ever suffer from anyone over here sort of saying, like, after COVID started as well, saying anything, like, particularly offensive or racist towards you? Um, or not at the period me, of time, because not me personally, because I don't go out anymore. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> like good. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I think when it just started, like back in February, uh, one of my friends, she's uh, Indonesian. She's not even Chinese. 
Mm. Um, she went on the tram. And then there was this Caucasian mother with her child. And then she was like, oh, just get away from that lady. She might have germs. She might have virus. Wow. Yeah. It's like, oh, just stay away. I remember probably about March, I got on the bus. It was March or, March or April. And there was this um, like Asian girl. She was sitting on one of the chairs. And there, like this girl standing near her. And, and she just turned to her, like seeing this person was looking at her concerned. She was like, you can sit there. I'm fine. I'm not sick. <laughs> I, and I was like, just staring at this conversation going, what is going on? Like, why is why is there just like casual racism suddenly no, emerging? It's not or even ca- funny. Like in, uh, you know, when it just started in China, there are people actually go into a clinic asking the doctor, I had eye contact with an Asian person. Will I get COVID? Like that actually. Wow. That, that's so bad. I know. Like. Oh my God. I didn't. (laughs) That just, that I need to process that because that is actually abhorrent. It was. Wow. It was on the news. I was like, oh, come on. Really? (laughs) I just, I think like then that I just, I just want to go, you're a moron. Sorry. Yeah, obviously. It's just like, how can you be so ignorant though? Yeah, I and and this is the thing. I think I think COVID. What COVID has taught me is a lot of uh, it, you know we we go into this world and we just go. We are so lucky and and privileged that why is you know bigotry and you know and um and ignorance still a thing? Like it, you know, we're we're yes, often very, a lot of exp- eye opening for for me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I never thought people would be so um, rebellious in a way, you know, like when there's, you know, a mandatory mask uh, thing or f- lockdown, there's always protests. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the Karens come out. The and Karens. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Um, I just, <laughs> it's, it's funny because every, I think that's become the best meme now. Is the, is the Karens of the world where you just watch those like people, you know, because Melbourne had their strict lockdown after they, they've had the worst uh, in terms of like, uh, you know, Australia had the worst death toll, but it was, it was interesting. Cause I was talking to, um, so when all that was happening, when the um, Florida, you know, like Florida and also like, you know, um, I think it was Russia and a few other places and just all around the world in, you know, and Europe's now like UK is in its, fourth lockdown or something like that yeah. uh and it, it just i think it's every time i hear someone go oh this, we could get covid or you know uh, like oh you know the um you know just want to say racist remarks or um or bigotry comments i'm just like shut shut the fuck up <laughs> like please god shut the fuck up you know nothing of yeah. the world if you think that just someone standing well you know within uh, I guess two meters, uh, is is gonna get you sick. But I, I do also find it funny. So this was something I I didn't realize until quite recently. Mm-hmm. Is everyone goes into shops and wears face masks, and that's compulsory now. But still, people do this thing where they they grab their face mask so that they can talk to someone and pull it down so they can talk. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like. That. With a nose, uh, with a nose showing as well. I like that defeats the purpose because, 
But I mean, like, how how did your parents take take to the like, the, you know, are they? Is it still kind of like bad where they are? Or are they sort of like a bit in, um, um, in the clear in terms of where they live? Honestly, ever since we left back in like February, March, um, they 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 haven't worn a mask since then. Oh wow! Yeah, it's all like all good. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because. We had such an intense lockdown for a short period of time. I think it was over a month. Yeah. Um. Ever since that, everything's good. Even Wuhan, like they they opened up not long after. I think one month after. Um. That's an that's great because yeah. like yeah because there's always like these weird articles where people go oh Wuhan's lying about how many cases they have and stuff like that. I don't know about that because it could be true. It could be unintentional because there's so many people dying. Uh, yeah, you could be like before you're diagnosed, you're already dead. So do I count yeah, you in that's... or not? It could be a no. But I think back in like May or June, the numbers suddenly jumped by a lot, and I think that's when the government was trying to catch up with the people that weren't diagnosed but died. Um, but I think they really try to be accurate. Yeah, but it's just impossible during that stage because it's full on the city is like crashing like the medical system yeah because it was like um you know that uh china as i remember my mom's been a couple of times and i think um you know uh she also you know she's been to um in around china and my dad's been uh, um went with her and she said it was just really busy like it's just a very happening place yeah a lot of people yeah a lot of people a lot of lot of large groups of people as well and it's and it's sort of like to contain that must have you know felt like a a big feat because you know with such a dense population yeah just be like okay everyone stay home definitely (laughs) um the population is definitely a problem but i think ever since um sars back in Oh yeah, two thousand and four was it? Um, I think China's definitely learned from that. That's why yeah. straight away it's like there's a new SARS. Everyone's like freaking out. Um, and obviously, um, as a country, we're actually really united. So like once yeah, which an, is great. Once there once there's an order saying everybody stay at home, nobody dares go out. Like even if some people go out. The whole community of the you know, local community, they'll be like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, they're not even an authority; just volunteers. They're just like, "You're not doing the right thing. Go back home." Wow. So I think that's that's why we contain it so quickly. And um, there's one thing that was super impressive. It was back in uh, a few months ago. Uh, from my hometown, there were two cases from um, imported seafood. Oh yes. Uh, there was two COVID cases. So overnight, every citizen of that city, my hometown, every every citizen of that city got COVID tests. Wow. Like in a day. That is like just insane. That's impressive. Yeah. I was like to my parents, hey, did you get COVID tests? It was like, yeah, yeah. We went downstairs and we just did it. I was like, what the heck? How? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you try and convince like, um, you know, anyone in Australia to get a, a test until it was like compulsory. And then I think we had our recent COVID scare in Sydney 
Yeah. And then suddenly everyone in the Northern Beaches got yeah, a COVID yeah. test just to be safe. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a definite camaraderie ship. I feel that you know, um, you know, you would have as well. And I feel like it's just that quick response. Knowing, yeah, it's- it just wouldn't help if every time there's this mandatory thing, some people will come yeah. out saying, "I know my rights. This is not right." You know, I'm not a slave. Yeah. Things like that. It's like, do you even know what slave is? Do you even know what slavery is? I, yeah, I think, I think that that's what's really irked me. And I think that also just shows it's a very, this is the thing. I have a very like iffy feeling about Western culture, which, which goes to the fact that, you know, it's something that even Scott Morrison said today in a, a paper which he was saying, uh, there was something about him saying, oh, it's quite tough for the first fleet um, to, you know, to settle here. Yeah. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't easy. And I was like, well, mate, it wasn't easy for the Aboriginals who were slaughtered. Like that was a, that was a rough day. Just your <laughs> casual rough day. Um, like, sorry, the people went and then just went, you know what? We're going to put a UK flag on here. It's ours now. You know, there's a real sense of Western entitlement, which I feel whenever some pandemic happens, Westerners always, or whenever something bad happens, Westerners think they can never be touched. Yeah, yeah. Or they're, they're, it's a dreadful thing that, you know, there's no kind of like, oh, okay, well, um, you know, I guess we're just going to come, come all together. There's always a... Westerners or like the the Western culture trying to divide everyone. Yeah, yeah <laughs> not everyone is, does that. The thing is, a virus is not gonna give a shit about whether you're <laughs> white or you're Asian or you're black. Like, they don't give a shit. You're human. I'm gonna infect you and deal with it. <laughs> I I think that's so true. In convincing people, like the early on in the pandemic, was one of the fucking funniest things. Like it just it just made me realize that you know like that that people thought viruses were intelligent, and I'm like that well they yeah. are no but they're saying oh Asian people's more prone to it black people's more prone to it <laughs> uh, men are more prone to it like it's like are you, oh. really <laughs> yeah and there's just some there's some dumb dumb people and I think that's like it's something that I think um uh everyone compared this to the film contagion and uh that came out in 2011 with jude law and i think what's interesting is about that is it captures a lot of how quickly viruses spread and it happened from patient zero was the uh, main guy's wife and then it just extended from there and it killed like so many people but it was just from a chef being careless and getting an animal um that was infected um, by some blood and it was just yeah it was it was kind of like hygiene levels and all these things viruses do not care they will kill anyone as yeah. you say and actually we we still didn't know we still don't know the source like no who's patient zero actually no um i mean yeah they found different cases back in november from europe so who knows whether it's from wuhan or somewhere else i'm not saying it's not, but I'm not saying it is. 
because we just don't know. I think that was something that I remember so early on. Uh, my chiropractor said that because, you know, he just said no one knows anything about this. We're all like you can't believe all what the media is saying. Yeah. They're, they're making guesses to something that they don't know. What What's your thought that this is just going to become the new normal? Like every few years we'll just have to get a new vaccine shot for COVID. Do you think that's going to be the case? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> but I think just because it's such a world pandemic is definitely a historical event. Uh, that's going to have huge impact for years. You know, you probably can't go to Europe yeah. for years. Um, and I, I really hope that there won't be any like mutations or new virus or whatever that's going to have another run at it. Like, that's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Because like... I really hope not. It's, nobody wants that. No. And I mean, like... You know, it's like a horror film. This is why, like, this is why I'm, I'm probably like, you know, every time I I think of doing horror, I'm like, oh, but there's a pandemic on. Uh, and I was actually uh, when the pandemic started, I tried to play The Last of Us, uh, uh, Last of Us Part Two, and I started playing it, and I just could not get through it because it was so depressing to think that yeah. that, that the one <laughs> that I was playing this game about like people dying. I was like, that nah. yeah, the world's gonna end. Yeah, it's like this is not the time for it. Um, but how have, how, so you've been staying and living at home or like staying at home a fair bit. Was that always like pre-COVID or is that just now because of COVID? Yeah, definitely because of now I'm not, yeah, I, I don't stay at home all the time. Like I go out. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely because of COVID everyone, you know, ever since March, had to stay at home and now it's just like nobody wants to go out anymore <laughs> yeah as oh i guess i guess we'll stay here and you know just cuddle up in bed and not move yeah um, basically i think that's i think that's very good though like the fact that you because you have the ability to work from home yeah you're actually quite an advantage doesn't really impact me at all when it comes to working the, the logistics of working but um projects wise definitely like a long, a long dead period. Yeah. How did you? How did you escape the boredom of, lo- of a long dead period? Um, I started doing my master degree by oh by yeah because I kind of expected that. Um, when the COVID hit back in March, I actually didn't stop until July August because a lot of films were in post production. Mm. Um, they were already shot. But then ever since September till probably uh, November, it was really dead. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, uh, uh, just do a degree. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? Would you describe yourself as a bit of a workaholic? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> does does your does your partner think you're a, a, like a little bit of a workaholic? Yeah, but I don't really ignore him or don't give him attention that he needs. <laughs> um, yeah, we. I definitely work hard, I guess, yeah. if you want to put it that way, but I don't think I'm addicted to working. Oh, that's se. good. I mean, like, like... Yeah, I still have my time to relax and do my hobbies and play with dogs. Uh, try, try to find that balance. Do you own a dog? Yeah, well, I have two. Oh, look at you. What yeah. kind of dogs are they? Cause I've got a black mini schnauzer. I've got a white labradoodle. Oh, love a labradoodle. Yeah. Love a labradoodle. Labradoodle is only six months. 
It's a COVID dog. Oh, this, <laughs> I love dogs. I, I live in an apartment and I just like, I just could not have a dog in here, but I, I want a dog so badly. Yeah. Um, Move to Zetlin and you'll be. Yes. I mean, like, it would be tempting just to, just to have a dog. I would, I would definitely move yeah. to Zetland. Every Zetland um, um, apartment has a dog. Don't tell me this. This is like <laughs> absolute heaven. Um, no, and then <laughs> I'm just thinking about dogs now. Like I mean, like that's that's also kind of like the luxury I think you've had because I had to unfortunately uh, go back into the office because I can't work from home. Oh, so, really? Yeah, I've. So this is like currently on annual leave. <laughs> Just enjoy because, like, doing the podcast, I can do at home, like, that's easy, yeah. But yeah. in terms of like my actual work, which I, I work for Channel 7, so I do master control and stuff, it it makes it harder because I physically have to be where the you know, we, yeah, we joked true. about it at work, we joked about it at work to to our boss and been like, Oh, can we work from home? And he was like, I don't think that's viable or possible but you know we could probably make it work but what are you gonna do and we're all like sleep yeah honestly just stay in bed and and operate while we're <laughs> at 2am while we're sleeping ah uh, not not actually focus uh yeah because it's a 24-hour department so we we're just all like having um the idea of like us being very relaxed and and sort of not being stuck at work for um that's good you know yeah, so I mean, I I'm sort of pacing out my annual leave though this year because it's like I can't travel anywhere. Yeah, and um, I think that's one of the things that I keep sort of talking about is like if I were to do anything adventurous or especially in filmmaking world, the moment this year is very much like a slowdown on filmmaking, but a a a, a, a different kind of approach to things versus like um you know I guess throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. There was a probably last year um was very much the year of making as many stuff as I could and now this year is like, you know, simplifying it. And do you like is that the same for you? Are you going to try and like see how many projects happen this year or you think it's going to be a very slow year? I'm not sure at this moment, but I think this year it will be more simply because of COVID. This year will be more game music and animation for me. Um, oh really interestingly because there won't be any social distancing required everyone's flying solo indoors um yeah so well, i actually get approached by uh, comic books and uh game developers and uh animators mostly those well they still need music Ooh. for their project and COVID's not really impacting their work because they don't need to go out for shoots um yeah that could be something new that'd be cool have you done game like would this be the first animation and game work you've done um i've done like some animation short films but not like full-on animation i've done game music i've done a fair fair bit of games so um but i think music is very different again writing for them yeah um yeah, but I definitely likes I definitely like working for game music and anime music because some a lot of the time music is very foreground. Yeah, rather than background ambience and Yeah, I can be super creative where game developers are very easy to work with compared with directors. Um, 
honestly, yeah, I write anything. They're like, great, great, <laughs> great. That's great. That's yeah. that's actually like tenfold much nicer. I um, think, yeah. I they would... just really have different standard. Directors sometimes don't have a choice. They want to make a film that's like Hollywood standard, right? I believe every yeah. director wants to achieve that standard. And then they expect composers to do that too. They want us to be like Hans Zimmer. Yeah, and you virtually can't be. Uh, no. <laughs> not with the, <laughs> I, not with the yeah, budget. And, and I, you wouldn't want to be. You would want to be your own stamp and your own, you know, yeah, your yeah. own well, person. What I mean is like, you know, that standard of production. I mean, like, it's it's interesting as well that you mentioned games because that was, that you know, that I think is actually like even bigger in terms of like something I really like about games is the music because it, it really is everything. You're 100% right. It, it is like, you know, when you're doing action scenes or anything in a game, there's so much music yeah. to keep you enthralled. You, um, they, they really definitely care about music, the game developers. Um, but sometimes they're not really anal about it. I think that's, um, uh, as a composer, I think it's, it's a good thing for me because <laughs> yeah. I don't need yeah. to work on various revisions. Um, yeah, I think that would be, that would be a good uh, way to diversify. Yeah, is there anything you're particularly wanting also to try? Like, it, you know, in terms of, like, future productions and stuff? Like, not just, you know, obviously, like game or anime or stuff. Is, like, radio radio music something you thought about? I've done radio music uh, a few times. I've written music for, like, a... I forgot what it's called, but it's... It's aired on ABC Radio, Um about like culturally uh women being independent and they just live in, as a community and women only oh cool yeah yeah i've done a documentary um on the radio it's very fun definitely not against it <laughs> <laughs> all right so is there any medium i guess you haven't touched haven't touched yes definitely uh like Audiovisual, like where your music gets played, say at Vivid, uh, Vivid shows or um, exhibitions, galleries. I think that's so cool. That would be cool. That'd I would, be super I, cool. I would hands down see you, see you being. And I think you get to be like super creative uh, with those kind of um, yeah events. Yeah, I think that's very very cool. Is that your ultimate goal to kind of get? <laughs> there um like the next opportunity if you get i'll definitely jump at it um <laughs> i'll definitely go for it but i don't know <laughs> um i don't know when or where that's gonna happen um yeah so yeah i've never written for a mu- musical either and i think that would be cool like as in uh, like um i mean if, like compose lyrics for something or compose the the the, the music itself for someone's yeah, actual think written bit of both i'm not sure about musical theater um because i've never done much about it that's that's a whole other thing on its own but i think it would be interesting to know the process i've done a bit of theater but they're not really music uh, music focus it's more about the story yeah that's very true i mean like with musical theater it's it's uh like uh, something that's always kind of intrigued me but there's um i think 
in terms of like, you know, it's been a lot more televised now. Yeah. They've got like musical shows and musical movies and stuff that, that when you kind of like get this, <laughs> I would love to know, kind of like fully understand the process of doing musicals. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. Cause it's, it's, yeah, it's a very different kind of like beast as well. Cause you're composing to these, um, you know, big ensemble pieces or like sometimes the in between parts as well. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like that's a. I think the gallery one sounds great. Like, to, and having your stuff in vivid, that would be so cool, right? Like, <laughs> that's that's holy moly, um, that would be insane. Um, I I think what I've learned also though is, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh-huh. <laughs> what I've learned is that basically everything it's you know I've learned from you tonight is, uh, let Luna be diverse. And let Luna try lots of different things because <laughs> she'll, she'll produce a good product is basically what I've learned. No, I, I, I think honestly, though, you are, you are such a hard worker and everything, you com- everything that I've heard you compose has come from either, you know, a, a, an idea that you've had or an idea that someone's had and you've extrapolated that idea. Yeah, thank you. You've, you know, you're obviously very good at it. Um, but it's interesting to hear those sides where it's like, it's not just a simple, you know, here it is. There's kind of like a lot of different ways that, you know, you become a, like doing a little composing and here and there, it's not just a, cause I think when people imagine it in school, they think of it as you're doing a soundtrack and that's like kind of it. They don't actually know what, you know, that the other mediums also require different things and uh, they're thinking yeah. about different things. I mean, when I say to like, just someone a stranger that i'm a composer they'll be like oh so you write songs right i was like no i don't really i write songs as well but that's not really what i do i write instrumental music and they're like oh okay so what about those songs that are in films i was like oh they're licensed they're not really part of a composer's job and then they're like okay but i don't really understand whatever as long (laughs) as you're happy i was like okay <laughs> oh wow, that must be an explanation and a half to most people. Yeah, like even directors, some of them don't know the difference between a soundtrack and a and a licensed song. It's extremely common. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel like that. Maybe I just watched too many films. As a uh, kid. You know a lot, Martin. Compare, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't realize how much like I knew in comparison to <laughs> to other people. Yeah, yeah. Which Sometimes is... they're like, oh, this song, this song. I was like, oh, it's not really a song, but okay. I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, also, though, what I, what I enjoy, um, you know, talking to you about and also, but also like learning off you is you're very willing to give feedback when you kind of also, I think there's a level of respect. When you respect someone, you're happy to give them a yes or no or you're wrong. But I think it's a different thing when you're like, mm-hmm. I guess, coming from an employment factor and you're kind of going, like, I feel like with me, you can tell me, Martin, you you understand this or you don't. Like, you could tell me up straight. I won't care. Um, but I definitely, if you're going to a very much like his, his uh, big affiliation and the director wants a specific thing. Yeah. You're, you're kind of not trying to tell them they're wrong. You're kind of just going, oh, or not even tell them they're wrong. You're just kind of going, oh, here's. Uh, what kind of like references and everything you're going off? So yeah, it really depends on 
the relationship. Like, say if we work together, a lot of the time it's not really about money. I mean, I don't feel、yeah. like I'm your employee per se. Like, it's a collaborative experience.、Um, that's why, like, I'm not too scared of giving you feedbacks, or like, you're more than welcome to give me feedback. So, because that's how we、yeah. grow. But、uh, there are a lot of directors are very, you know, this is my baby, and you can only do this, and you can't do that.、Um, that's、yeah. when, like,、uh, once I get that vibe from the director,、um, the easier way is just to do what he likes, <laughs> and yeah, I think I think that's fine. I, I'm doing my job. Yeah, and I think that's the thing as well. We we met, you know, I think what bases are. Work ethic off really well is the fact that we also, you know, as you say, I don't mind getting feedback off you. You don't mind getting feedback off me because we have that mutual understanding that it's like, well,、yeah. if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But we both know. Yeah, you know, and there's no that, ego or anything else involved.、Yeah. I'm not gonna get hurt if you tell me this is shit. You know, like yeah, I'll be like, okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> but <laughs> like, if I if I say something remotely. You know, neg not really negative, but honest.、Um, you know, some people just don't take it well, and I don't think yeah, it's I don't think it's a I don't think it's necessary sometimes to say what you think because you know, just out of respect, I wouldn't do that. No, and I and I think that's a it's the difference and it's the fine line of working、yeah. with someone that you can you consider an equal and. And also, as you know, as someone who you actually trust working with, because you know, like obviously, but then there's also the other line of just being like, you know what, I'm going to suck this up, going to be professional, and what they want is what they want. They're paying for the product, so I'll、yeah. give them what they want. Yeah, yeah.、Um, basically, I mean, in, in the end, this is your film. You can do、yeah. what you want with it. I'm just part of the crew, and I'm trying、yeah. to.、Uh, Get what you're trying to achieve,、uh, even though you know our vision doesn't line up. But it's your film and it's your vision. So I think very important、yeah. thing about screen composer is that you gotta have no ego and you gotta be super nice to be to be working with. Because if you're not nice, people is not gonna like you, and then you probably <laughs> won't get any projects. That's so true, and I think I think that's always like. I remember the first time we met, and、uh, we had the sit down. And I think one of the nicest things was,、um, you you just asked me a bunch of questions, but also you were very like, just genuinely like someone who's very easily approachable,、mm. and, but I think that also makes you someone very easy to be like, cool. I think of this, and I think that, and that you know, it just takes time. It takes that kind of developing to anyone out there. Who is listening to this?、Um, it does take time. Filmmaking is a very much trial and error, especially when you do,、uh, you know, unpaid projects or paid projects. I think that sometimes unpaid projects are the the best ones because you really get a chance to experiment. Yeah. And I, you know, and paid projects are also you can get some really exciting experimental ones because you do get to challenge them. But you also, I think, what works particularly about you. You know, well, between our working relationship is where you know, as you said before, we're very willing to experiment and allow that creative freedom. There's not、uh, so much,、uh, 
this needs to be a specific way. There's a do what you want and see if it gels with what I've done, especially when it's like to a sequence that I've edited and I go, oh, you know, I don't know what I want for this and what do you think? What do you think could elevate that? Yeah, it's Um, definitely definitely that trust there is super important. Some like, yeah, um, it's like, I don't know. Uh, you think about John Williams with Spielberg and um, Hans Zimmer with Nolan. It's like it's like finding yeah. it's fine. It's like finding a partner. Um, you just got a vibe. If you don't vibe, it's not gonna work. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. Like it's you know, and I think that it, it's just you gotta have that. It's like it's like as you said before, we are each other's best friends. So you know. <laughs> We get that vibe of like, even though I've directed some of the stuff, I'm also the editor, so I edit yeah, that sequence. It's, and then it's I it's certainly like a lot of trust involved. You know, like yeah, say you trust me to to be creative on my on my side and just go with what I feel like. A lot of directors mm. wouldn't um, have that relationship with the composer. That's when it gets a little. Um, the dictator kind of side comes out. Yeah. It's like, oh, at the second, I want a chord or, you know, very, very specific. Um, sometimes it's it works, but a lot of the time you you will feel like you're just an employee um, and I'm just a tool for you to compose a track. Yeah. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I, in a very subtle way, I do know what you mean. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I'm saying this properly. No, you are. I just feel like it's very like subtle stabs. <laughs> not, in a, not in a bad way, but it's definitely like, uh, you know, it, it, it's the subtlety that we like. I think as it's an editor, the, you, you must know this. If you work with a director, oh, yeah. right? They were like, oh, you, this frame is too long. This frame is too short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, really nitty gritty things. I think a lot of the time it's, 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 I remember the worst ever production i ever worked on um uh i had to edit a sequence and said hi res files this was years ago straight out of uni and i absolutely hated working on because i got really sick in between it and this edit was in between starting a new job and doing everything so doing all that and sending in these high res files back and forth uh, to having the director edit the sequences to show me what they wanted and i thought you know, you haven't even communicated what you want. You're just not even writing proper notes. Like what you're doing is just telling me what, you know, exactly you want. So I'm basically just copying and pasting. Yeah. What you've like, done. Why, why don't you be the editor then? You know, why hire an yeah. editor? I think, I think that's kind of like where I, I learned very quickly where it's like, sometimes you get really good trust in your, um, you know, from directors and then sometimes they yeah. don't trust what you do and it's yeah. very different. Yeah. When you don't have that trust, it's it's very it make your work really hard. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 very much makes the work very, very challenging and it's just like damn. Um Yeah, I think well, Yeah, that's why as filmmakers, uh, we're gonna, you know, build relationships and I think people just really love working with people that they like. Yeah. Instead of Maybe I'm not that great at writing music, but I'm very easygoing and everyone come out happy and they'll definitely hit you up again. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously talent really matters, but if you're really 
bad person to work with. Nobody's gonna go through that again. I think it's all about the experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I, mm. I just don't work with shit people. Yeah, it's not yeah. worth the time, not worth the money. Yeah, not worth the money either. Yeah. Uh, unless it's a I lot. Think, <laughs> yeah, in which case, you know, just just suck it up. You know, it's yeah. got it's got to be worth it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're just greedy and we we just want more money. Um, hey, we're oh not lord. I know, right? I know, right? And you got to pay for a wedding, so you know, you got to make sure you got to make sure you have a good day. Yeah, well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope let's hope your family get um, over to Australia and it's actually yeah, a bit more COVID really safe. So yeah, I'm actually I'm really hoping for you because um, it's fingers crossed at this point because it would be nice to have your parents there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But no, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's you know been an absolute pleasure talking to you because it's you know it just reminds me of how much i enjoy working with you and it's a nice like trip down um listening to you and hearing about all the like weird stuff that you've had to do oh likewise likewise martin but also you've you've just had an interesting like um i think time to to change you know the i guess filmmaking on its head and still have a voice within it so i think you know like i i look forward to our many uh more continuing working together yeah. and doing collaborations Let's but keep making um, things keep making magic yeah I, I will keep making magic you keep making magic we will both keep making magic. <laughs> <laughs> um so this is the things we do podcast you can check me out next week with another guest and i look forward to chatting to you all then all right i'll speak to you soon bye bye <laughs>